0: Welcome back everybody, Brian Tuck here, your host with another episode of Creator Confidential and what do I even say to set this one up? My guest today is an actor, a TV presenter, a world traveler, and a cancer survivor, and an entrepreneur. The great, Jack Maxwell, the Booze Traveler himself, is with us tonight or today, depending on what time you're listening to this. And we have a, a really a great conversation. Jack was kind enough to call in um, and you know talk a little bit about how he broke in to show business and his prior show, The Booze Traveler, which uh, was on the Travel Channel for four seasons and about sixty episodes his battle with cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Um, and and most recently his newest project, The High Road with Jack Maxwell. And I'm going to let Jack explain what that new show is all about. I think that when you get into the all of the various social and government and historical and policy forces that surround the subject matter of the high road, it's really a window into American culture and into American history. But we're going to get to that in a minute. I also want to thank the show's sponsor, the Cleveland School of Cannabis. That's right. Cleveland School of Cannabis. You're going to hear a message from them in a second. And, you know, I think it's safe to say there is a sea change happening right now around the issue of cannabis and CBD oil and all of the derivative products uh, that that exist on the market and are legal. In quite a few states, it would be unthinkable even five or ten years ago to think that recreational marijuana would be legalized uh, even in one state in, in, in our great country. But uh, clearly there is a movement underway and it is happening right in front of us. You are living through historic times. So without further delay, we are going to get into it. Here we go. The Booze Traveler, Jack Maxwell, the Traveler of the High Road. Get ready. Here we go.
1: You're listening to Creator Confidential with Brian Tuck. The next budding industry is here, and the Cleveland School of Cannabis alumni are working in the industry right now. If you want to find out how this can be you, go to csceducation.com to learn more. That's CSCEducation.com. Creator Confidential starts now.
2: Hey, you might know me. Yeah, I'm that booze uh, explorer you've been following around the world. But I got sidelined with some tough news cancer.
1: Maybe you should consider using medical marijuana.
2: And that started me on a whole new journey. Now, I want to explore it all. I have cancer, it doesn't have me. Call it what you will. Weed, reaper, pot, grass, ganja. It's not what it used to be. There's a whole new ecosystem emerging right before our very eyes. I like weed, man. What's it all about? And where's it headed? Because so you're the Star Buds guy. Does weed really give you the munchies? Oh my God, is that good. Or make you lazy? Oh, oh, my baby. Get out, baby. Does it make you more creative? Pain painful, baby. Who raps better than me. Is CBD in any form really a cure for, well, just about everything? You know me. I'm insanely curious. So join me on this positive, fun, and uh, <laughs> uplifting experience. I'm Jack Maxwell. Let's
0: take... The High Road. My guest today is a world traveler, a professional world traveler at that, a TV personality, actor, uh, entrepreneur. You got a lot of titles here. Uh, The great Jack Maxwell. Hey, Jack, how are you?
3: Hi, Brian. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And I don't call myself all those things, but it's okay if you do.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well i'm uh I've really been you know in in preparing for this um, really been impressed with the 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 turns that your career has taken and the things that you have seen and where you've been able to go to uh really i think is a, a great inspiration for young people out there or People that are thinking about, you know, being a creative person, um, because you you certainly have. We'll start at the beginning, but I think you really have had um, an incredible, what I would call non traditional route to you know getting your product, not the the show, uh, the booze traveler, obviously um, out on the air and in front of people. So for young people or people that right now might be working traditional nine to five jobs that are thinking about pursuing their dream. I think you are an incredible example of, of doing just that. And I I was wondering if you could sort of take us back to your, your early days and did you always want to be an actor? What was the thing that started you on that path?
3: Oh, that's a good question. I don't remember exactly the day. I do remember the time ish and the feeling. Uh, I grew up uh, with uh, in a single mother household It's my sister and I and my mom. And the projects of South Boston, uh, so it's a little rough, and uh, we uh, we were poor generally, and but we had each other, and I I, I just think when a kid goes through something like that. Uh, probably, I would guess, at least I did as a child, engage in a lot of uh, escapism and fantasy, uh, imagination, all of that. I I think it's a a defense mechanism, and probably some adultery. But as a child, I would just pop myself down in front of the television, and I would act out different characters, whether it was the Three Stooges and... uh, you Know just doing the same things they do, or I, I love the show called Wild Wild West. And I, my mother, and I don't remember this, but my mother tells me I would fly over the couch and crash into the wall. Uh, and I don't even know if they, if they did it on that show, but she thought I would, uh, in Superman, I'd wear a tape. Like a lot of kids did, i sure. And then one day I discovered that none of that was real, it was all acting. And uh, once I got that, I said, Well, I want to be an actor, and if I can't be Superman or Batman or James West in Wild Wild West or one of the three stooges and I will be uh, the next best thing and that's an actor it took me a long time to finally uh, develop the confidence and belief in myself to be able to do that one day I just, I just did it I was uh, 29, 30 years old and I just decided I'm going to walk into this audition without any formal training and see what happens and uh, here we are
0: so when you were in your twenties, what were you doing to make ends meet prior to that, that first audition?
3: Cool. Well, I guess I, I was doing everything. I, I worked at, uh, I started my first job at Giants shoes as a little kid in the bars of South bottom. Uh, that, that's some great stories there as well. Then I was, uh, I had a paper room. Arizona when I was just about 13 and uh so that was my next job and then I worked in fast food and I worked at a radio station I sold life insurance uh I worked security private security so I I did did a lot of different things which is in retrospect great because it gave me a, a wonderful uh wealth of knowledge about what different people do and how they act and uh you know, who those, who those people are and, you know, being an actor, I think you have to understand uh, as much of humanity as you can, as well, in, as, well as feeling a sense of humanity. And uh, so I, I wouldn't change that for anything. That was a great experience, but I did a, a bunch of odd jobs until I finally had the confidence to pursue my dream, which was acting and hosting.
0: What was the so the first audition? You walk in, you know, stone cold, from what I understand. In in terms of no, you know, formal training or preparation or anything. What what was the um what was the audition? What was the what was that for? Do you remember? <laughs> oh,
3: it's so horrible. oh my goodness, uh, I, I I can't talk about it without laughing. I was so bad. I, I had never acted, never auditioned, never took a class. I just wanted to do it or wanted to see what it was all about and I walk in and they give me a script and they say we're going to do a cold reading and I don't know what that is and I'm so nervous I lean up against the table and they say you know you have to do it over here in front of us with your seat partner and I was really bad I was just, and, and I'm not exaggerating so much so they said thank you and I left with my tail between my legs and I said I, I can't leave it at that So actually, I took the playbook home with me, and I came back a few days later, and I said, can I do that again? And they said, oh, what do you mean? You were here the other day? And I said, yes. They said, well, you see, we have to call you back, hence the term callbacks. And unfortunately, nice try, but you didn't get one. And I said, okay, whatever that means, but can I just do it again just because? I have to get it off my chest. I know how bad I was. And I did it. And uh, as one of the casting people that tells me now, they thought that uh, a different person came back in my clothes because I was just, my attitude had changed. I was a little more confident. I had memorized the lines. I understood the character a little bit. And again, I was still terrible. But in relation, not as bad, I guess. So, by the time I got home, and this was the days of answering machines, I had one new message, and they offered me a part, not only a part, but a bigger part than I auditioned for, and thus it began.
0: That's incredible. I think, you know, people like to say that, you know, failure is the greatest teacher. I, n- I never really liked that expression. I think, I think experience is the greatest teacher. You know, you you have that first interaction with uh you know with with the panel then you go home you work on it you work on it you get you know a little bit more context for what's supposed to happen and you come back and then you succeed I mean even in that 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 short example
3: yeah no I, I tend to agree with you I don't I don't think you have to fail to learn um had I gotten the part I would have done it the same way and uh, I, I wouldn't have worked any harder. I mean, I worked hard from the beginning uh, and learning about what it is. And I got myself to an acting class. I, I think failure things, and by that, it might get your attention, and you might work harder, uh, per se. I, I don't think it's necessary. The fact is we're all going to fail at something, right. and uh, that is a good teacher, but I think experience and being open to that and not putting uh, too much value On the importance of succeeding and failing right away, you know. Someone once told me every successful person uh, has only one thing in common, and that is they never quit. So I think perseverance is uh, is important whether you fail or succeed.
0: Absolutely. Now, how did you get for? So you lived in Boston up until this point, your entire life. I'm assuming, right?
3: No, my mother moved us to Phoenix when I was just about 13 to start seventh grade because she felt that if I grew up in the projects, I might turn into uh, someone that uh, has lost his way. No father around, no uncle around, no older brothers. So I I think for a better life, for want of a better life, she uh, put all our possessions in a U-Haul that she attached to the back of her old Camaro and we drove across country, and uh that that then began a, a a new life, of course, because I was a boy, and I was restless. I graduated high school half a year early, so I could get back to Boston see my friend to get to know my father, who I did not have much of a relationship with uh that didn't work out so well uh while I was there, we went to prison. So I came back to Phoenix and uh, then I moved back there again when I was uh, 25 or six and then a friend of mine and I moved out to Las Vegas uh, and uh, that's where I auditioned for this play. So I bounced around a little bit, but mostly uh, Boston and Phoenix. And then LA from 96 on uh, until now, of course, I'm, I'm living in Phoenix currently because I'm undergoing chemo for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I'm done with the main part of it, but I still have to do one day every two months for two years because the nature of this disease is that it comes back uh, quite rapidly. And it's deadly when it does, so you have to keep an eye on it. Right.
0: Now, so in prior to your diagnosis, you had you had a hit. In the booze traveler. And' let's, let's talk a little bit about how that how that came to be the idea because when you watch those episodes, the amount of research that had that must have been done in advance, I mean, not just locations and, and that kind of thing, but you know the historical parts of, of the shows that you were you were communicating uh, in between all the adventure stuff, Uh, had to be a massive undertaking.
3: Sure. And I I was uh, fortunate enough that we had a great production company who did all of that research and pre-production and a great crew uh, that rotated, of course, with other crews. But um, my job was the easiest. I just had to go on a trip (laughs) and fully immerse myself into the culture where we happened to be at the time, and just enjoy it all. You know, it's uh, a lot of people uh, get from the name that the show might have been about drinks uh, because it was called Booze Traveler, but it really wasn't. Sure, it was about what people drank uh, and why they did and the importance of alcohol in their cultures. But it was really a celebration about the joy of life and the people and their cultures and traditions. And that's what I loved. I just, it was wonderful. But uh, life happens. I got cancer, and uh, under uh, I, I, I had to go undergo I had to undergo chemo, and uh, the network was moving in a different direction. And that's okay. It was a wonderful four years, and I just am completely grateful for all of it, whether it's the show or the cancer, because that taught me something as well. And I got through it okay, and I'm doing fine today.
0: Well, the the show ran, as you said, ran for four seasons. uh, I believe 60, that's six zero episodes, which is a lot. I mean, that's some people never even get to crack a pilot or or even to get one piece of work uh, broadcast and in front of everybody in a major outlet the way you have. So, you know, just to do... That You know just to do Booze Traveler is a massive accomplishment Um, Take us Through Take us through when you were notified Or or how you discovered You had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma
3: Well uh, you're right it was uh, 60 I guess technically 63 episodes of Booze Traveler And then they spun off a show called Booze Traveler Best Bars we did 10 episodes of that And then of course I did a uh, three episodes of a show called uh, The The Trip, and it was just it was all, so it was all wonderful. I'm just so so lucky. I mean, a lot of people look at it and say, "Oh, in the midst of it all, you got cancer. It was terrible. You had to give up your career." But that's not it. I I I, I got to do this thing, and then I got to, in the face of cancer, be strong for myself and for my friends and family. And hopefully, inspire other people were going through the same thing. And and I got this, it it, it all got discovered by a fluke, really. I just went in for a heart scan, and they found a little blip at the bottom of the frame and said, you should come back in. We found something. And so then they did a full abdomen from my neck to my pelvis, and um, my stomach was littered with cancer. And uh, we decided, through uh, a lot of discussion with my oncologist, to practice what's called benign neglect because it's a slow-growing type of cancer you just keep your eye on it and you do scans every so often and you will see where you are with it as long as you're asymptomatic which I was so uh, eventually though it grew even more so so uh, we decided to go into chemo
0: and that when when about did that begin the treatments That was a terrible question. November 2017. Sorry about that. Uh, So, I'm sorry. So, November 2017 didn't mean to talk over you there. I apologize. Um, That's okay. So, going through that process, what is in your mind in terms of how you move forward, how you continue on, you know, as normal as you? as you as you could, I suppose. Take us through that a little bit, if you don't mind.
3: Yeah, I know. I know everyone has a different reaction to it. And I'm, I'm no hero, but I, I just felt that, uh, especially where I was in my life, having just traveled around the world to somewhere between 50 and 60 countries because we did some domestic episodes, uh, that my view on things was just, so enriched by all these experiences, and uh, when you expand your horizons like that, both literally and figuratively, I suppose, you see how people have it around the world. And then when something like this happens, you can't feel sorry for yourself, knowing what else is out there. I mean, I saw a tragic, truly tragic situations—not just individuals, but families and, and whole communities. So when this happened, I just said, "Okay." It's a speed bump, not a brick wall. Let's do what we have to do to get over it so that I can continue living my life. I suppose if I was miserable uh, in my life, I might have had a different outlook. I suppose that if I acted and felt sorry for myself, maybe the cancer would have taken hold or the treatments wouldn't have worked as well. I really believe the power of the mind and the soul are just uh, so important in not only... Your everyday outlook, but through the healing process, whatever you're going through, I truly believe that. I don't think it's everything, but it certainly helps, and it helped me mentally.
0: I've heard many people say that. In terms of you know, I, I do power of positive thinking is kind of a trite way to to express that, but but the sentiment is uh, definitely something you hear over and over again. And it doesn't need to be a health issue. It could be a financial issue, or uh, family troubles that you might people might be going through, or um, you know, a, a legal thing, or, or some kind of crisis where you know your state of mind really determines, in large part, how you you know whether you get through it in one piece uh, psychologically, for sure.
3: Absolutely, you're right. It doesn't have to be health something as serious as cancer, it could be anything in your life, and I don't mean to just write everything off by saying, uh, you know, look on the bright side of life, I have a positive attitude, whatever, I I, I think that takes time to develop, it can't be just a trope, it can't be just a a saying or an anthem, you really have to believe it, and that's the tricky part, because people ask me all the time, well how did you get to that point, You you had a tough upbringing? Living in the projects, no male influences in your life that were positive. Certainly, uh, how did, how did you get through it? How did, how did you become a positive person? And I don't know if it was because of my so-called humble beginnings or knowing that I had to take care of my mother and my sister in the best way I could, but I just thought getting through it was crucial. And the way I did, uh, in life was to be positive. By being grateful. I think that's the start of it, honestly, because you don't have to have much, but if you're grateful for what you have, then you look at things differently. And again, going around the world and seeing the horrid conditions in which some societies live, not just a person or a household, uh, it just, it's shocking, really. Even though you see things on the news, just to see it in person and to feel it, to have that kind t- of t- experience, to smell it, to see it, to, to observe it up close, to hear it. Uh, I, I think then, especially as Americans, because we live in a great place, uh, it's a wonderful country, and we're very lucky to have been born here. I mean, uh, I, I, I think that when you travel, if you come back not grateful, I think something's wrong. <laughs> like you should reevaluate your life
0: personally. I think you're exactly right. Um, now, the for you know, and again, just from my research, you're gonna you're gonna tell us the real deal. But from from coming through the treatment for the illness, that seems like it opened the door for your next project. And I was wondering. If we, we could spend a little bit of time talking about the high road,
3: sure. Well, yeah, that's that's what happened. Once uh, I was no longer doing Booze Traveler, and I was going through chemo at the time uh, when they announced that the uh, the show was being canceled. I, uh, I I I really got through chemo easily, and I, I I think it was just a matter of luck. To be honest, I didn't lose any hair. I didn't get nauseous and throw up like they said, I was going to, um, the, I, I guess the the most impactful symptom was that I I couldn't sleep at night when I closed my eyes. I'd see blinding white flashes, almost like lightning, uh, just striking through my eyes and it was very distracting obviously. And, and then of course I'd, I'd focus on that. I, I couldn't put it out of my mind, even though I tried different things, meditation, Relaxation, etc. Uh, so somebody recommended that I. Uh, well, a few people said take a medicine, take this, take that, and I didn't want to, uh, especially as I was trying to clean myself out uh, and get over the cancer and try to handle the chemo the best way I could. Someone recommended that I take CBD oil, and I say, "Oh no, I don't. I don't want to do that." They said, "No, trust me. It might be something that could help you." And it's probably not what you think it is because I was not a consumer of, of marijuana or cannabis uh, at all before that. And it actually worked. I would take a tincture of CBD oil before I'd go to sleep. And I said, wow, oh, this is fantastic. And I started looking into it a bit. And then shortly after that, uh, I ran into uh, uh, someone who who suggested Uh, I do a show on that. And so we put it all together, and the show is now called The High Road with Jack Maxwell. We just finished the pilot. It's in the editing process now, and it's really truly about America's changing perceptions. And, of course, I have a personal experience with that about what cannabis truly is. You know, there's, there's hemp, which is CBD, and then there's marijuana, which has... 0.3% THC or greater, and that's the one that is is psychoactive, but CBD, hemp itself, uh, has so many uses, rope, clothes, food, oils, etc., and it was all lumped together, unfortunately. Uh, 1937, they put a prohibition on it. That has just been lifted through the end of 18th Farm Bill, so there's no longer a prohibition on on hemp and the states now can decide some of them are a little slow at that and on the marijuana side it's about at this point 10 or 11 states that allow recreational use and 30-ish that allow medicinal use but people are really opening their minds to it now because of CBD. that was the which stands for cannabidiol it was a intro i guess to the discussion about marijuana because most people were either hard pro or hard con on it. There was no in between. And once we started discovering medicinal uses and we saw that seniors were flocking to it for their various maladies, aches, pains, illnesses, whatever, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they could no longer afford their medication. Um, And then we talk about the healthcare system, that's a whole other thing. And also, it worked better, and, and opioids were killing people and still are. So once seniors who have a certain um, way to view things, let's say, they've generally been on, the, on the, the right side of the political spectrum, once they thought it was okay, and they opened their mind to it, I think a lot of people came along with that. And then we saw some, what I believe, truly miraculous results with epilepsy. Uh, look up Jack's Law, or Charlotte's Web, or all these other things, and, and we found out that due to our ignorance of what this was and that we banned it for mostly economic reasons uh, through the political process back in 1937, we we're way behind on research. A country like Israel is way ahead of the curve. So we're trying to catch up, and I think over time... it'll become more mainstream. And I'm not suggesting people use it or not. I'm saying for me, the CBD portion helped a lot. I've now experimented with both uh, on the show just to see what that's all about. And I'm hearing some truly wonderful stories about people who are suffering all kinds of things and how it's helped. But it's not just the medicinal angle, it's the political angle, how that's changing. The legal angle, of course, and how society looks at it. It's been a fascinating journey for me, and I hope people will check it out when they get a chance. We have uh, a social media that's called The High Road Show on Twitter and Instagram, and then my personal Twitter and Instagram is Southie Jack because I'm from South Boston, S-O-U-T-H-I-E-J-A-C-K, and uh, I'll keep you posted via those... Um, Uh, means about the show and uh, my own personal recovery.
0: We are certainly going to link to all those social media accounts in the show notes. So where if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or uh, anywhere else, SoundCloud or Google Play, you'll be able to just click through and get to the sites uh, that Jack mentioned. I, I think it's really an interesting topic because once you step away from you know, at least for me, I was, you know, a child of the 70s. I think we're pretty close to the same age. And when I was growing up, you know, the phrase was, you know, there's a war on drugs. And that was sort of everyone's worldview. And there are so many social and historical forces at work on this issue that it is interesting to me that If you if you rewound 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, I think it would have been inconceivable that states would be decriminalizing uh, marijuana, whether it's for medicinal use or recreational. And I'm, I'm not quite sure offhand what the tipping point was necessarily where you know, once, you know, it's like the old saying, no one wants to be the first one into the pool, you know, people kind of wait around and then once somebody jumps in, everybody, everybody follows suit. Do you, do you have a, a sense of, of, you know, from a, a policy standpoint, you know, wh- what that is, it, what that was meaning like, what was were well, Several
3: be? contributing factors. Uh, I, I think one of them was of course, uh, people painted with a wide brush. It was marijuana, it was bad, it was hippies, it would fry your brain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not suggesting it's the greatest thing in the world, but we should educate ourselves because that's the biggest uh, deterrent, right, to ignorance. If you educate yourself, knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And we found out that we were being lied to about what this was. And again, I, I was not an advocate for it, but I am an advocate for truth and knowledge. Once people started using it for medicinal purposes, people who weren't traditional users of marijuana didn't fit that demographic, that scope. And they said, hey, I've never used this, but it works for this, that, or the other. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. People will tell you there's no scientific evidence because there's not enough research and that takes forever. Well, they'll also tell you that for decades, there was no scientific evidence that tobacco was bad until right. it was, and then of course the dam broke. With this, I think anecdotal evidence. When there's so many people, I think that equals scientific evidence because it's not everyone you know conspiring together to say it's good for any particular reason. I think the scientific evidence will follow is is what I'm saying. So once we discovered there are medicinal purposes and people were using it not just to get high and whatever, they were were using it for good, for themselves, to become better people and getting off of opioids, which were killing people. And uh, that combined with then the economic aspect. Once the government decided that they could make money this once they could legalize at least the hemp part of it, or if not, they didn't truly legalize the plant. What they did was remove the prohibition, and there is a distinction between the two. So once they did that, and they allowed the growing of hemp and the production of it for different products, there's a lot of money involved with that. So I think those two opened the eyes of, of people who look at government uh, as, you know... As, as, We could could get a lot of tax revenue from this. And additionally, a lot of people are being helped. I think then uh, the push was on to really educate people. Before that, I don't think they cared. They saw it as something not useful. And uh, it's a shame because ever since 1937, we could have been doing a lot of things with it. And then, of course, Nixon made it a class one drug right up there with heroin, which is ridiculous. And for my own purposes, and I can't stress it enough, I never used marijuana before this. Actually, one episode of Boost Traveler, I was in Nepal, and these Babas, or holy men in Kathmandu, made me a drink at a festival as we all sat around uh, that contained marijuana. That was my, the first time ever using it in my life, ever. Uh, I, saw,
0: so I, I saw that episode, yeah. and, the, and the look on your face when you're looking around the, uh, the group... Uh, You know basically asking Hey wait a minute isn't this uh, Isn't this illegal over here And they just you know They all kind of chuckled and uh, Off you went
3: Yeah that was quite the experience But but here I just think Whether you want to use it Or not is up to you But let's understand what it is Truly Before we demonize it When I was a little kid I used to have night terrors Maybe it had something to do with growing up in the projects where they would set cars on fire and domestic violence was a uh, common occurrence, unfortunately, and people breaking windows and lots of noise. So as a little kid, I was scared. And I always believed that there was a monster in the closet, maybe not under the bed, because my bed was really close to the floor, just just a couple of inches. But in the closet, I just believed something was going to come out of there and get me. And then, of course on the occasion that I'd make a scene, I think I was three, maybe, or four, my mother tells me. She would come in and turn the light on, and say, see, there's nothing there. So I would tell myself, ah, that's it. When you shine the light on it, the monster disappears, because I know he's there. And then, of course, you get older and understand, ah, sunshine is the best disinfectant. You shine a light on something, you truly see it for what it is. And I think now we're finally doing that with cannabis. Which is for the betterment of all of us.
0: You cannot wrap it up any better than you just did. Um, question for you: So, going forward, you've got the pilot shot; it's in editing right now. Where do you see this? Where do you? Where do you? How How are we going to get to be able to see this? Do you think?
3: Boy, I wish I knew. We're shopping it currently. Uh, there's been some interest. Around and we're going to you know, try to shop it for the best deal and get the widest audience and try to educate as many people as possible at the same time as entertaining them, I hope, because it's a fun and positive look at it. But uh, hopefully, you'll also learn a few things. So, if you follow those websites, uh, excuse me, if you follow those social media handles, either Southie Jack from on Twitter and Instagram or High Road Show on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we'll certainly keep you posted because we want to get it out there and have as many people see it as possible. I think it can really help a lot of folks.
0: It certainly is a timely topic, and I, I it from a from a public policy standpoint, this is definitely one of the, you know, for this generation, it's it's definitely a significant shift from the generation before it and i think when we look back on this decade uh we we are it will seem even more obvious how how large of a change uh this country's going through on this issue and you know for my own i'm not pro or con i'm i'm pro uh liberty so if if you want to do something that doesn't hurt anybody else or hurt someone else's property um you know uh, i'll go for it but um I think that uh, you're doing some great work. Obviously, you know, booze traveler was a hit, and I think you're certainly going to be able to build. Uh, I, you know, I, I'd be I'd be shocked if we don't see this show uh, happening uh, immediately next week, this week. I don't know, but uh,
3: <laughs> well, we'll see. But thank you, Brian, and thank you for what you do.
0: My pleasure, everybody. Jack Maxwell, go follow him on Twitter at Southy Jack. And also check the show notes for the links uh, to the show, The High Road with Jack Maxwell. Thanks, everybody.
1: The next budding industry is here, and the Cleveland School of Cannabis alumni are working in the industry right now. If you want to find out how this can be you, go to csceducation.com to learn more. That's csc education. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, follow the show on SoundCloud, or visit us on the web at creativeconfidential.net. Creative Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media from the Tuck Law offices.